not the kind of person that would be good for her daughter. And when she said that, in my mind, I did not say this to her. I didn't verbalize it. But in my mind, I said this. I said, Auntie, I think I should be convincing him about not marrying your daughter. Because knowing and loving her, the daughter, I knew she would be a disaster as a wife at that time. You see, the fact that you are searching for someone doesn't make you prepared. The fact that you are above 25 or 30 doesn't make you prepared. You can keep searching for Mr. Right, but are you Mrs. Wrong? You can keep searching for the trophy wife, but are you the consolation husband? In my estimation, ill preparedness as singles is the number one cause of failed marriages today. People are just not prepared. There is an assumption if I reach a certain age, if I have this edu um, educational status, or if I have a job, that's it. I'm ready to marry. And yet people don't know, especially even in church, we don't know the beginning of what it means to be prepared for marriage. Again, at the root of many of the problems I see in marriages, sometimes you talk to people, they'll be 10 years into marriage, and you'll be looking at the problem. And often I don't look at that problem because the problem is a symptom of something else. So I always ask them, how did you guys meet? When you guys started dating? Because you want to get to the genesis of the problem because it's obvious with the things they are saying, these people were not prepared well at all. You see, what you have to understand, even if both of you, even if you and your husband or you and your wife, your to-be, your fiancé, even if both of you are very well prepared, you are close to being flawless human beings, marriage still comes with its difficulties. So how much more when you guys aren't prepared? You see, for many people, the definition of being prepared, as I said, is it always has to do with money. Money for guys, does he have a job? Women, can they cook? Let's not even get into the chauvinism that comes with all of that. Now, I'm not saying that being able to cook is not a good thing. Believe me. Believe me. <laughs> I love the fact that my wife can cook. And I'm not saying that security, financial security, they're not important things. I'm saying that does not, those things are in the center of what it means to be prepared for marriage. So how can I prepare? Well, I want to talk about two things in the short time we have. Now, the first one, I'll spend more time on that. The second one, I'll pay a little bit of lip service. But I'll spend time on the first one because I think it's something most people are in, we just don't talk about when we talk about being prepared for a marriage. So I'm going to talk about, one, the generalities, and the second one is the particulars, the generalities and the particulars. Now, I want to read a very important passage for you that um, and I don't have it here, so I'm going to bring up my phone. I, I thought I had it here. But probably as important a passage for you that you ever see, I think one of the most important passages for preparation on marriage in the Bible. So open to me to 1 Timothy 5, and I'll read um, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. If you want the secret, the key to preparing for marriage, lock yourself in this. I read. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as, as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute 
purity. Mic drop. <laughs> now, the reason why there's this silence is like, hey, Femi, did you read the wrong, right passage? Because uh, what does this have to do? You're like, I can't, I can't see it. I just can't see it. That's the honest ones among you. The not so honest ones among you are saying, hmm, yeah. Can you not see it? Like, you can't see it. It's very deep. And like, you must be a deep pastor, right? The people in this congregation know one thing about me. They may not know any other thing, but they know one thing. I am not deep. Now, why do I say this passage? It's really important. The reason, I would say, if you cannot see it, you'll be making the point. If you can't see why this is very important, you'll be making the point that I said why many people are ill-prepared for marriage. Here's what I mean. Jesus in Luke 17 verse 33 says this, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will what? Preserve it. One of the problems why many singles are ill-prepared for marriage is because instead of focusing on being a better Christian or a better human being, you are focused on being a better spouse. We focus so much on the thing that we actually miss how to prepare for the thing. I'll put it to a paraphrase. Whoever tries too much to be married will either not get married or will be unhappily married. Have you ever met a desperate person? Desperate. You know the funny thing? Um, sometimes Nigerians, you know, we have, uh, unfortunately, a bad reputation abroad. And it's always usually because of a small group of people. But most times, if we say abroad, you're from Lagos, you're a guy, and you know you have a computer. Say, can I? Uh, you just been sorry. Can I have your email? No, no. You know what they are thinking? What? Yahoo, Yahoo, right? Yahoo, Yahoo. But sometimes I think the untold story of the Yahoo, Yahoo is true. They are Yahoo, Yahoo guys who happen to be very smart guys, by the way. Most of these guys are not fully educated. How did they get all this computer coding and all of those things? Now, their emails are not very nice. They're not great. It doesn't show how smart they are. You know, I'm this allergy, or I'm this king that has um, this. I was the king of Wakanda. <laughs> and, but I was my father, no, I was prince. My father was killed. I was meant to now go about, uh, I was now meant to ascend to the throne, but my younger brother, has ascended. Anyway, I'm now in Libya. But I have like $80 million that I need to unlock. But I need someone, someone that will help me unlock it because I don't have access to it. So it's $80 million. I'm willing to split it half, half with you. Just supply me $40,000. And you say, who's going to fall for that one? <laughs> and here's the point. The reason it continues is because what? Because people keep falling for it. I remember seeing an expose um, about 10 years ago on, this, on one of these scams. And if you see the people that were falling for it, a lawyer was for, fell for it, an ordinary woman. But worse is the, a, a sitting congressman. You know what a congressman is, right? In their legislative arm in America. Now, don't look at our own legislative arms uh, people and, and judge their sense with these ones. If you are going to ascend to that, you must be a very smart person. In fact, this man, his son is married to Chelsea Clinton. He fell for this scam. Do you know why? It's not because he wasn't smart. 
because the man was desperate. He lived in a social bubble where all of his people, his friends, were businessmen that had so much money. You know, they went for, they threw nice parties. And for him to maintain that, so, that to be in that, in that place without maybe doing anything illegal, he started trying to go to make a fast buck. People who are desperate hardly ever make good decisions. When you focus too much on specifically trying to be a better spouse, you miss the point. Sometimes you think, some of you have been attending, don't lie, you have been attending singles meetings since you were in university. Am I lying? Am I lying? Okay, you don't want to answer it. I'll tell you, you have been. You've gone for this one, go for this one. But here was the other thing. A few of you break out of it. Do you know why you break out of it? Because you say, I have been to 10. I have not learned anything new, isn't it? You keep hearing the same thing over and over again. And yet, flocks of people keep going. It's almost, and you wonder why. Many of these people are not stupid. But out of desperation, they keep getting duped with wrong teachings. Because people know that we are so desperate for this thing, so they'll give you anything. That's why you, you sold some of the anointing for uh, married seed. Don't worry, you don't have to tell, just don't worry. We, we'll allow that one to pass. People too desperate for marriage end up focusing on the wrong things. The wedding day, being the so-called perfect spouse. You know that perfect spouse? Usually, is sold to women. And usually, it is this woman who, she started her career at the bottom, and she works like 12 hours a day. But in that working at 12 hours a day, no other woman cooks for her husband. You know that one? And then, she cooks for her husband, though. She and the husband, they do the same kind of work. They're both ascending, but she always cooks for her husband. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the husband does not even like frozen stew. Fresh. He doesn't eat frozen fish. Fresh. She scales the thing on, well, she removes the scales, does everything. Added to that, she's a woman of God, of course. Because she's, she's the one actually preaching it to you. It can be done. And so you look at that. This woman is able to preach. She writes books. She cooks for her husband. She trains her children well. Proverbs 31. I mean, her, her, her husband calls her what? Her children call her? She's blessed. So you play. That's where I'm going. There was one of my wife's friends. She told, she said, she came to, my wife and I have been married for four years. She came to meet my wife. She said, how's your marriage doing? She's not married. How's your marriage doing? She said, because she, she's, that she believes. And my wife was trying to say, well, we, we have some of our struggles, but we are moving. And say, ah, it's because she hasn't done this thing. That she believes that if you're going to be married, well, you need three mentors that you must submit to. You need a spiritual mentor. You need a financial mentor. You need a, a marriage mentor. Babe, what's the, no, there were four. I can't remember. And my wife was looking. <laughs> she, she, she looked at her hand. Get my, my wife, I'm the one that has the ring. You don't she had this view of preparing, this mythical view of preparing. And she probably had just heard from one talk that she paid some money for. She's been duped. 
And many of us, we are so desperate, focusing on the thing itself. And by doing that, we miss the larger picture. So what do I mean? I want to tell you something slightly different today. What is Paul trying to get at? And why do I think this is very important? We've already seen that Paul has told us in 1 Corinthians 11 that to be properly married, you need to be fulfilled. But here, who is he talking to? The book of 1 Timothy is called 1 Timothy because he's writing to who? Tim, eh? Somebody said Titus. <laughs> Olodo. Was that, Shama, was that you? Nah. No, it wasn't you. No, no, no. I'm just picking on you because you're putting your face up the other way, but I have no problem with it. Okay. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy was most likely a young man. Remember, he says, do not despise your, don't allow anyone to despise your youth. Timothy was a young man, and he was unmarried, and Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus. A young man unmarried leading a church in Ephesus. And Paul said, treat older men like this, treat older women like this, and treat younger women like this. In essence, what was Paul trying to tell Timothy? This is how you live in community. In community, you are going to have diverse people. Here, it was people with diverse genders and people with diverse age ranges. And he was saying, you need to be able to learn to live in community. How are you going to maintain these relationships with these people? Why was that important? Because, remember, marriage... Though is more than a relationship, it's not less than it. At its core, marriage is a relationship between two individuals. It is just that it is the most intense and committed human relationship of all, but it's still a relationship. You see, when the Bible says God created Adam and then said, it is not good for man to be alone. That was first in the sense of it is not good to not be without relationships. Then you have different kinds of what? Relationships. The most intense of those human relationships was marriage. Therefore, training for marriage begins with how you live in community with other people. You see, for us as Christians, the main community is that of the church. Now, you have other relationships to friendships and family and all of that. So if you want to take a crash course in preparing for marriage, listen to the passages that Paul or others speak about living in community. The best, I think, is this one, Romans 12. Listen. If you want to know, secret of preparing is this. Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If you can excel... In, any of, in all of these things, believe me, almost to the bank, you will excel in marriage. When Paul is telling Timothy, behave like this to older men, behave like this to younger women, behave like this to um, older women, who is the common denominator in all those instructions? 
So Paul was talking more about what should be done in Timothy rather than what should be done to those people. Paul was trying to say, Timothy, by living in community and living with diverse people who come with different things. You know, an older woman's problem is different from a younger woman's problem. And older men, look at, or just our own, older women, eh, look at where she, but she didn't even greet me well. And Timothy is saying, that kind of woman is going to report that younger girl. What are you going to do? If Timothy lives well with these people, Timothy develops what we can call maturity. And the problem is too many boys, even though they are 40, are getting married. And too many girls, even though they are 35, are getting married. And why do you think they have a problem? They are not mature. But maturity is not going to come from you just reading Christian books about marriage. In isolation. You will say, I am patient. This same person that unfortunately um, um, was telling my wife about mentoring, her marriage is almost in tatters just after one year. You can go for all these conferences and do all of those things, and you are trying to develop your maturity, just you and teachings and you and that. You can say, I'm so patient. Really? When have you had to forgive anybody in church? That person actually duped you. That person actually spoke to you that way. How do you live with that person? The problem is this. If you say, I'm not the kind of person that can take nonsense. So if your wife gives you nonsense, so call. I won't take it. And she will know about it. It's called the backhand. Because <laughs> I'm a person of principle. When he says there, he says, honor one another above yourselves. What do you think marriage is about? You say, I ah, know I'll do that because I so much, I love her so much. Until you find out that she always likes to bring the toilet seat down. Because that's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you can see the man saying, eh? I, I, I didn't even believe that the toilet seat should have been created. <laughs> believe me, you can love someone, you can love someone so much. But the mere fact that the person presses the toothpaste in the in the middle <laughs> causes you. The question is this. When when in the writer of Hebrews says, let us, let, us not, let us not forsake the assembly of one another. Why? He said, it is in that we will provoke one another. The word was provoke one another to love and to good works. In other words, saying for love and good works to come out, there has to be some tension among us. Marriage, when people come together, is for a particular mission. But the people that must come together for that mission must be united. Do you think it's easy? Somebody that was brought up in a particular background, went with a different educational path, where has different uh, temperaments, and you, you come together and it's just so easy because we just love. Love conquers all. I often tell people this when I counsel them. They don't understand. Why are they? You will see the way maybe she was so angry in the mind. I now say, okay, all right, husband, go, go, go. Auntie, sit down. Tell me about your, your childhood. How many siblings do you have? I have three. How many? How, how, what's the relationship between you and your siblings? You are the firstborn, Adi. How often do they come and confide in you? No, you're always telling them what to do. Always telling them what to do because you're the firstborn. They want to tell you that they're dating this person. You like, what do you mean by that? Read your book. You know the problem with that person? That person has a problem with control. That woman is always going to be a nagger. 
Whereas when you're in the church community, you have somebody that is there that is telling you, sister, this thing is a problem. The question is, are you willing to submit to it? You see, Paul is telling Timothy, develop yourself. God has given you the gift of people who are imperfect, as you are imperfect, for you to be able to develop yourself. You see, the point is that it's not always easy to love people in the church as you ought. And honestly, in marriage, it's not going to be always easy to love the person that you are with as you ought. So let me ask you, is your idea of church more about what you, can, what, what you get than what you give? I like a church whose worship is, is great. I don't, like, I, don't like the way that, I don't like the way that pastor talks. I'm, I'm not into that. Yeah, I, I come in, I come in a little bit. I, I'm, I'm only about the word. You know, you, you have a consumerist mentality with the church rather than a serving mentality. I have to say that we, who are pastors and our church, we've, we've added to that problem because we actually like it. Because it's, we are giving you a service and you just have to pay us with your tithes and offering. Is your idea of church more about how many people complimented your dressing than how much I complimented others' dressing? Like, ah, this, uh, this dress that I bought, that, you know, they started the whole thing like this. And I was walking and she didn't say anything. And me, I complimented her the other time. Oh. Do you give? Oh, wow. Thought they never be. Do you give simply because you are forced to or out of loving generosity? Because you are forced to, you are manipulated. That's why we had the whole daddy freeze thing. But the problem with daddy freeze movement is that it doesn't create generous, generous or cheerful givers, which the Bible actually calls us to. Now, it doesn't call us to be manipulated. That's, that's what daddy freeze is fighting and he's right. It calls us to be generous. In marriage, you have to be generous. Sometimes you don't get back. But you give because you love. The woman with the alabaster box, what did Jesus say? She gave, she, do you know why she gave that? He said because she loved much. Do you serve when only asked in church? That's why the plates keep, remain, they, they are not done. Say, but honey, why didn't you allow me, why didn't you wash the plate for me? You didn't ask me now. Do you only talk to people you like and avoid those who are weird? Do you only serve when it's convenient for you? You know now, you know that thing. Hear me? Oh, Yemi has already seen you, he's coming. Say, ah, Tedohan now. Ah, can you say I'm talking to somebody? And yet, in marriage, it's not just that you have to love the person in front of you. You have to love the person. You have to love people that that person loves. And normally, sometimes, those people that that person loves, you really don't like them. Like their family members. <laughs> so if you've answered an emphatic yes to any of these questions, congratulations. You are well on your way to making someone's life miserable when they, when they get married to you. If you have not learned to live in community. You see, for marriage to work, it depends on two people giving so generously to each other and thinking less of themselves. Guys, what I'm saying is develop yourself. Stop thinking only about that person that is going to complete you. Are you worth marrying? You see, some people swear, even with their marriage vows, that they will go to the moon and back for them 
They will always care for them. But eventually, it starts to unravel. It quickly falls apart. Why? Why? Simple. How can you love the spouse you have not seen or married when you have not loved the brother or sister that you can see? And let me say one other. Well, maybe I'll just rush through this. But I need to say this. You see, the vast majority of your married life is neither romantic or erotic. How many times can you have sex in a day? It's true. How many times? After a while, if you keep saying, baby, I love you, baby, I love you. My wife, she says, oh, yeah, stop now. Ah, I get the point. <laughs> but we need to carry the child. To, or please just take the child to the, to the hospital. I'm trying to get out of that by saying, baby, I love you. You see, the point. The vast majority of your life is not going to be, of your married life is not going to be these things that you always fixate on. It's about communicating. It's about listening. It's about speaking the truth in love. It's about loving in the truth. It's about learning how to apologize, uh, apologize about a mistake that you've learned about and that you confess. Look, you can get all that training with your brothers and sisters in a committed church. Because listen, if you are bad at these things with friends, brothers and sisters, you will not all of a sudden learn them in marriage. You wouldn't. In fact, what will happen is this. It will be magnified in marriage. Because at the, look, with your friends, sometimes you can forgive them. You know why? After they've done the thing that they've done, the next time you see them is Sunday. So the whole thing will pass. The person that your, your wife or your husband will annoy you in church, you still have to drive with that person. You still have to go to the same house. You still have to sleep with that person. So after a while, you, just, you, you don't care. You don't pretend again. If you've not trained and learned how to deal with these conflicts, how to truly listen, you listen to so many people in the conflicts in their marriages, you get them together, they are not hearing one another. And yet the person said, I've listened to you. But he doesn't understand because he's not, he's not learned how to listen from the heart. He keeps trying to learn to listen with the ear. Effective communication, knowing when not to speak, allowing the anger to pass. All of these things we learn together in what, in what, you, in what a true community is. And maybe I'll say in passing on this. Sometimes community helps you to redirect sexual tension. You see, the thing about sexual tension or sexual urges, it is an urge. And sometimes the urge can be redirected. What is it? You want to give something and you want to receive something. And sometimes embedding yourself. Look, so my people will tell you, let me tell you the truth. I can tell you this as a guy. When some people, they, they think, oh, the people that are always most fixated on sex in marriage is guys. It's fairly, fairly true. But here's this. Go and find men eh, who have started a business and they want to grow that business. They're really passionate about that business. I'm telling you, three weeks, one month goes, they don't have sex with their wives, and they don't even know. Because something else, something else that, um, that requires their passion has taken over, so they are redirecting it. It is very possible to be about the mission of serving God's people, such that those urges that are there, the Holy Spirit takes it, redirects it, for you to serve your brothers and sisters. I'm not saying this is, listen to me, I'm not giving you a formulaic answer. I'm not saying this works all the time. 
But I'm saying it works far more than people, do. people, people can actually uh, people know. You have those urges less because you are spending time in loving, friend, friendly relationships. Amen? Amen? So that's that. And the final thing I'll talk about is the, the particulars. And I said I'm not going to spend as much time on this one. How many minutes have we got? Okay, so I'm not going to spend as much time on this. Um, again, because I can't talk about everything, right? I would like to talk about this a little bit more, but the particulars. Um, I have spoken in general that if you develop yourself as a human being and a Christian in living in community, and I'm saying this, a lot of you have to get into what a real community, not, you know, I'm kind of here, I don't, I don't tell, nobody really knows me, and you enjoy the fact that no one really knows you, you know, you're mysterious and all of that. That thing wouldn't help. Get into real community. But that's a generality. But here are some particulars. And again, I'm speaking really as a Christian. Two, two categories of things. One, learn about biblical marriage. Two, practice spiritual disciplines. One, to learn about biblical marriage. You see, there's a lot about what a Christian marriage is that most professing Christians don't know. I'm sad to say, and... I am part of the problem because I'm a pastor. We pastors haven't done well. We churches haven't done well. Most of what we say about marriage, you know, it all boils down to submission and authority and who, you know, it's so poor. And I say it's very poor because it doesn't represent the biblical witness very well. If you read the Bible, you see the gospel is at the center. But that same gospel that is at the center, Paul, Paul gives us an illustration with marriage. This is very deep. There are enormous resources there. I preached um, a two-part series. It's on SoundCloud. Um, well, three parts, which was we called it, I think, the meaning of marriage. And the first thing was singleness, but the other two. What does marriage really mean? The Bible gives you a picture with Adam and Eve, the origins of marriage. But it gives you another picture, a transcendent picture in the gospel, Christ and the church. What does that mean for forgiveness? Well, I'll tell you. Paul says it, Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another as what? Christ has forgiven you. And so he expands on that. Husbands, what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So when a guy always talks to me about the fact that she didn't do this for me, she didn't do this for me, I say, well, you know, you are the one that meant to love and to lay down your life. When you are practicing your headship, what was Christ's headship? How did he practice her headship? He went to die for his wife so that he can save her. So husbands are meant to learn, or guys who, are, who want to be husbands, you need to learn how to start sacrificing for people for their own good. So learn about the meaning of marriage, particularly in the gospel, in the gospel picture. Which leads me to say this, and to even ask this. You say you're a Christian, are you really? You say, oh, what does this have to do with it? Give me principles, men. Principles without power wouldn't work. I'm not talking about whether you said a prayer so that you can make money. You know, after you had a sermon about how God is going to double promote you or he's going to give you a great marriage, he's going to give you a breakthrough, and then you now committed your life under that prayer. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, have you taken something like marriage to be the real God in your life, and the other God is like a genie in a bottle, very powerful, but is your slave. So let him give you a fantastic wife. If you are like that kind of person, can I suggest to you the mere fact that you go to church, you are not saved, and it's going to distort your picture of what marriage is. 
You are going to go into the Bible, take texts that are not really saying what they are, what, what, um, they're not really saying what is in your heart, but you misinterpret it for your own, your own gains. You see, what the gospel basically says is that if we have replaced the true God with something else, when that God visits with his wrath, he doesn't visit you, he visits his son so that now you can serve him. You want to think about what a good, preparing for a good marriage is? That's your starting point. But if you are that kind of person and you want to learn, go back to the gospel again. Because if he says that guys are the heads, well, guys must learn sacrificial, non-domineering headship that is focused on making your wife better. And ladies must learn, in other words, they should emulate Christ. And ladies must learn humble, non-grudging submission that seeks to achieve a goal without you at its center. In other words, do what? Emulate Christ. Christ submitted himself. So when he says submit, it's not this kind of, oh, I just lost my freedom. You are emulating Jesus Christ. And finally, practice spiritual disciplines. This one is the most uninnovative thing that I'm going to tell you. And it is not innovative because it has worked for Christians throughout the centuries. Sometimes... You know, C.S. Lewis says something like this. You know, we go, we see a wall. We see this wall must come down. Let's bring this wall down. Why? We don't like all these traditions. We don't like all these religious things. And he said, he said before you take that wall down, try and find out the reason why the people that put that wall there put it there. And many times we want to, out of a Christianity is a life kind of thing. I, don't, I want to get rid of those archaic things. I don't do them. We miss out on the richness that God in his mercy has given to the church for 2,000 years and has worked for them. One of them is spiritual disciplines. I assure you guys, this thing is powerful. And the reason why many people don't do it is because Satan knows that you have power in this, and so he distracts us. So what do I mean by that? Regular Bible study and pray. Read your Bible. Pray every day. If you want to. If you want to. If you want to, oh, 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 read your Bible, pray every day. I mean, it, it's, it's outstanding. I was reading today in my daily Bible reading, Deuteronomy 17, about the Israelites. He was talking, um, God, that they didn't have a king yet. And he said, when you enter in the promised land and you have a king, one of the things he said, he said, this copy, this book of the law, this man must write a whole copy of it, and he must meditate upon it day and night. He's saying if you are going to be a king, you have to read it day and night. It's monotonic, of course, because God has delivered his word, your guide for life. Do you always want things to be complex? Why do we always want things to be edgy? You know? Because those edgy things eventually fail us. Why is spiritual? Why are spiritual disciplines important? Here's the thing. Every day, you and I are bombarded with images, we are bombarded with messages, we go to work, we are bombarded with different worldviews. Many of these things are saying, this is the reality of life. And we have gateways with our eyes, with our ears. We re receive all of these things. They are saying, this is the reality of life. But that's reality of life, as the book of Ecclesiastes shows us, reality of life under the sun. But there is obviously something that is above the sun. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes ends with this. It says, this is the summary of everything. Life is not just under the sun. Fear God and what? 
keep his commandments. In other words, God even created the son. There is a greater reality. The greater reality is God's perception of reality. So when you go to your word and you, and you say your prayers, you are saying this, before I go out today, because I'm going to be bombarded with so many things, God, open my eyes to your greater reality. What does this do? It matures you as a Christian. Why is that important for marriage? Because believe me, the moment your child is in a health crisis, at that point, what does romance mean? At that point, you need a husband that is spiritually mature and can pray. When your father eventually passes away, you need a spouse that can give you God's word to really uphold you. At that point, spiritual babies become a disaster for you. Here's the point. Are you that kind of person? Are you trying to be that kind of person? Before you are looking outside for that other person that you think you deserve. The question is, should they deserve someone like you? So before we talk about, which we'll talk about next, and because that's important, how do we search for the right partner? Are you worth searching for? Let us prepare ourselves adequately. Stop looking for new gimmicks. Go back to things that are tried and tested. Develop your character in God's community. Be accountable to people. Read your Bible, pray every day. Look at the picture of the gospel. It demands so much from you because your sin demanded so much from Christ. Amen. So I think at this point, the music will go on. Um, there will be refreshments. I don't know. Will you announce? We'll be here? OK, so the refreshments and a bit of a small lunch, small chops, I think, will come in here. And then after that, we'll have Q&A. Please send your questions to the, to the number that was. Dami, could we have the number again? Please send your questions there so we'll compile it. Or you could write it down on a piece of paper.
Thank you. 